Father, as our shepherd, you have promised to lead us to the still waters and you have promised to lead us to the pastures where we find good food and good nourishment and grass that strengthens us. And Father, this is a picture of your word. And so we come now to the pastures of your word where the good shepherd intends to speak his voice and the spirit intends to illumine our hearts and minds to receive this. And I pray we wouldn't just chew it and spit it out or look at it and think it looks good or smell it or anything like that, but we would chew it up. We would digest it and make it our own. And we know this is a work of your spirit and we ask that that would be accomplished as we come to your word and hear from it now in the book of Luke. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. William Carey has rightly been called the father of modern missions. Carey gave himself, really gave his whole life to missionary work at a time when mission boards were non-existent, at a time when seminary training and equipping for missionaries was all but non-existent, in a time where recruiting for missions was all but non-existent. He was a true pioneer in missions at that time, and for a variety of philosophical and theological reasons, there was very little support in where he came from for cross-cultural evangelism. But, by God's grace, William Carey had a remarkable impact. Remarkable impact on the modern missions movement. He spent four decades of ministry in India for the sake of Christ. But, you may not know this, but William Carey was not the first Protestant missionary to India. Did you know that? He wasn't the first. The very first Protestant missionary to India was a man named Bartholomus Ziegenbolg. Ursula, did I get close? 88 years before William Carey set foot on the soil of India. Bart and his partner landed in Trankobar on the east coast of India in 1706 and broke initial gospel ground in India, planted the seeds, and those seeds would bloom in a powerful way under the ministry of William Carey. The first missionary to India, Bartholomaus Ziegenbolg. In our passage today in the book of Luke, we go way back beyond 1700s. I would argue that we go back in Luke chapter 10 
to the very first missionaries sent out beyond the apostles in the history of the birth of the church with the new covenant just on the horizon. The very first missionaries. Luke chapter 10. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 10. And our text this morning will be verses 1 through 16. This morning, we're going to focus on verses 1 through 8 in part 1 of a message entitled, Workers for the Harvest. Workers for the Harvest. So turn to Luke chapter 10, find verse 1. This text is also in your bulletin to be a help. Luke chapter 10. Starting at verse 1. Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of Him to every city and place where He Himself was going to come. And He was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, into his harvest. Go. Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, It will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you and heal those in it who are sick and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your city which clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will... And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will be brought down to Hades. The one who listens to you, listens to me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. In the book of Luke, for many chapters... First eight chapters, it was Jesus doing the ministering. And they watched. 
then, Luke chapter 9, the twelve apostles were sent out and they began to do the ministering. And it wasn't only the twelve apostles that were sent out. In Luke chapter 10, 70 others were sent out. Now after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we see the pattern that the kingdom work is not limited to a few, that many more are needed. The Great Commission is not for the apostles only. It's not for the 70 only. It's for the church. It's for us. Every believer participates in this mission of evangelism, proclaiming that the kingdom is near in our Lord Jesus Christ. And every believer in some way either being sent or supporting participates in cross-cultural missions. Every one of us. As disciples, we are workers sent by Jesus into the harvest of the lost. This is our mission. Yes, this is a passage for missionaries. I will try to apply it in that way. Yes, this is a passage for pastors. I will try to make application there. But this is a passage for us. This is a passage for every single member of the church. This is a passage for every single Christian. We are all taking up the expanding and growing mantle of the Spirit, the mantle of the mission of our Lord Jesus Christ. Moms, in this room, this passage is for you. And your kids are your number one field. Fathers, your families are your mission field. Your neighbors, your workplace, teens, that school, that, that co-op, that team. Your friends, those are your field. No matter who you are, no matter what your schedule looks like. No matter what your situation is, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that means you are a worker sent by Jesus into the harvest of lost souls. This is your mission too. So there are ten timeless characteristics of Christian workers. Ten timeless characteristics of Christian workers sent into the harvest in our passage. We will cover seven today. And the final three sobering, sobering horrific characteristics next time. You want to be there for that. Not sure what that next time will be as we plan our schedule out. I'll let you know. The first characteristic of a Christian worker sent into the harvest is this. You are appointed by Jesus. Verse 1. You are appointed by Jesus. Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others. The Lord Jesus appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of Him to every city and place where He Himself was going to come. Now, it's been a while. We've been in Deuteronomy, for those who are visiting, and we're back to Luke. We're going back and forth. 
And so the context is after this in verse 1. What is after this? After Jesus set his face like flint with his eyes south to Jerusalem. He's up in the Galilean ministry up north. And now the book shifts and he is with his disciples. He is beginning to head south to Jerusalem. Yes, it's going to be a lot of wandering around. And he's going to be back and forth. But his heart and his mind is heading south to Jerusalem. And it's all about his mission. He sent his 12 out to get it going. And now he sends 70 out. And they go in pairs to fulfill the, probably in Deuteronomy, that the mouth of two witnesses, every fact would be confirmed. But they go out in pairs. And like Bartholomaus did to India, he prepared the soil not before carry but before the Lord Jesus you see the Lord Jesus and his disciples would show up behind them and the soil would be prepared in each city and these 70 didn't appoint themselves these 70 were sovereignly appointed by Jesus the word appointed used in verse 1 is used only one other time in all of the New Testament in the book of Acts for the sovereign appointment of Matthias to replace Judas as an apostle. Matthias didn't act on his own. It wasn't his idea. He was sovereignly by lot appointed to that place. The 70 didn't act on their own. They acted under the authority of Jesus Christ and by His permission. And today, those who are called into cross-cultural missions those who are called into pastoral ministry don't act on their own. There's not a spirit of independence. There's an appointment by Christ through His church, through the leaders of the church, through the, and the confirmation of the saints for one set apart for cross-cultural missions or for pastoral ministries. But, that's true. But for you also, you are appointed by Jesus for this ministry. You're sovereignly chosen for salvation, which we'll get into soon in detail in Luke chapter 10. You're sovereignly appointed for salvation. And if you're appointed for salvation, you are appointed to be an ambassador for our Lord Jesus Christ. You have entered, you've been called By the sovereign Christ out of darkness into light, you are called to a calling. You are made a new creation in Christ Jesus for a mission. He purposed to have you to be a part of His plan. To be an evangelist for the good news of the kingdom. The good news that the kingdom is near in our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll get to the message next week and the responses or whenever I preach this next sermon. But it's not an optional appointment. It is not. It's part of who you are. You are an ambassador of Christ. You represent Him in this world. It's an amazing calling and it's not just for those who are pastors or 
missionaries or have the gift of evangelism. It's for all of us. We're all called to this. Although I do praise God for those who have this gift. Here's what I want you to see as we get started this morning. You are appointed by Jesus. Mom and dad and co-worker and church member. The mission field is all around you. You are appointed by Jesus as a worker in the harvest of souls because you were sovereignly appointed for salvation. If you were saved, then you were appointed for mission. And this is a difficult mission. This is a difficult message to preach. Because we are often just so afraid of people. I mean, we may be talkers until it comes to this message. We often fail and we're often afraid and we need to remember to start out with our identity in Jesus Christ. We need to remember who we are. It's really an identity issue. This is what we're called to. This is who we are. We are workers sent out into the harvest. Christians are all workers sent out into the harvest. We've said it so many times, it's become cliche in this church. We are all disciple-making disciples of Jesus Christ. Are you proclaiming Jesus in your spheres? You were appointed by Jesus to proclaim Jesus. Number one. Number two. You are the second characteristic of Christian workers. You are few in number. Verse 2, first half of the verse. Two, and he was saying to them, and we could preach a whole sermon on every one of these points, so be patient. We're not going to do that. Number two, and he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So Jesus is teaching His disciples in the 70 that there is a harvest of souls out there. This is a picture of the harvest. We're not farmers, so it's hard. Driving through Iowa, just think of those fields. Fields of barley, fields of grain for miles and miles in the blue sky. And that, that harvest of all that grain and weeds and tares that are very similar are there. And there's so many stalks of grain that one day will come to an end. That one day will be gathered up. And it's a picture, this word harvest, it's a picture of this grace and provision and gathering with the word harvest. There's just a positive feel for that word of gathering that wheat into the barn. But there's also a picture in the New Testament times, not in our times, but in the New Testament times. It's like two sides of the coin. There's a picture of judgment with the word harvest. There's a gathering to be burned. There's tares to be, wor- to be burned. There's weeds. But as the heart of Christ, as He looks out in these fields, His heart 
is a heart of compassion and pity and tears and opportunity to the sovereign one that we'll see, still has compassion, still calls us to pray, and he weeps. The one who is the Lord of the harvest. But there is a picture here of judgment. Just listen to Matthew 13, verse 20, 29. But Jesus said, No, for a while you are gathering up the tares. For, uh, for while you're gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. So uh, allow both to grow together until the harvest. So, and in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares, bind them into bundles and burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. So there's a picture of a finality with the harvest. There's compassion and there's an overwhelming number of acres <laughs> to be harvested. But Jesus says, we have to begin. We begin with the 70. Go out in twos. Fast forward to today with nearly 8 billion people upon this earth. 8 billion. Is the harvest plentiful? Are the workers few? Doing some Google research, I, I'm just going to quote what I saw. Quotes of the approximately 8 billion people on planet Earth, about 3.3 billion are considered unreached or least reached. And these, so these are people who haven't come close to even hearing the news about Jesus. More than 7,000 people groups are classified as unreached, end quotes. And many of those people are tucked in what's called the 1040 window. The 1040 window is a rectangular area on the globe between, it gets its name from between 10 degrees north and 40 degrees north latitude, but it's really North Africa, the Middle East, and Asia, the resistant belt where the, most of the world's Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists reside. The 1040 window. Go to a game, you got 27,000 people at that Twins game, how many of them have bent their knee to the risen Christ? There's a harvest of souls coming. How many are facing judgment, as Hebrews says in, Hebrew, in chapter 9, verse 27, and inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. And Jesus respect to His humanity, looks upon the harvest of souls. And He's filled with compassion on them. He says they're like sheep without a shepherd in another place. And He weeps over Jerusalem. He weeps even for the hard-hearted leaders. He so longs for them to bend the knee. And so I would remind all of us, that we're a part of this mission, but we are few. 
We need more people preaching the gospel. We need more people that would stand up and go into this world and proclaim the gospel cross-culturally. But one of the greatest needs of, our, of the church is for the church, wherever it is found, not to rely on her pastors, not to rely on her missionaries, but to open up their mouth and to recognize that they too are called to be evangelists right where God has planted them. We are few in number. We are few in number. What do we do in light of this? Well, we certainly don't earn our salvation. Of course, anytime you try to call us to action, right, it's legalism. But listen, it's not legalism. It's a call to action. It's a call to faith that works. It's a call to make some changes, to some real changes today. Like, something radical like this. Like, I am going to witness to one person this week and tell them the whole gospel all the way to the end. God, please open up a door. And that leads us to our third point. Number three, the third characteristic of a Christian worker. You are prayed into existence. You are prayed into existence. Therefore, verse 2, second half. Therefore, in light of this, in light of the few, and we need more, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. That's prayer. Beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So we have a prayer meeting uh, first and third Wednesdays of the month and, and I was convicted by this passage that as, and we pray for our missionaries, but to really make that important that we have this ongoing prayer request that we beseech the Lord of the harvest. That is, we beseech our Lord Jesus Christ who is the Lord of the harvest that He would send out laborers into the harvest like he did his 12, like he did his 70, and it's now expanded. And that we would begin to pray. As we gather as a church, we would begin to pray this way. That we would begin to pray. Let's just bow our heads and let's pray. That we begin to pray, Lord, please, this world is dying without you, and we... Truth has fallen in the streets. I pray that you would raise up preachers of the word here and also that you would plant biblical churches around the world, that you would equip pastors to preach the word, that you would raise up some of our children, maybe some of us from Grace Community Bible Church. You would raise them up, that they would see the big picture, that they would know who they are and that their identity as a worker sent on the harvest maybe would come to the point and they would be called, Lord, to be preaching the gospel even cross-culturally, Lord, that you would raise up more out for this harvest. And Father, forgive us for being afraid even now. Forgive us for not opening up our mouth in our own context here. 
Help us not to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Father, please give me an opportunity. Give us opportunities every day. And, and make us to be willing. And just open up those opportunities and soften hearts so that we would be able to speak the truth of the gospel to people in a way that pleases you, speaking the truth in love, and that you would continue to build your church and the gates of hell would not prevail against her. What would happen, I, I'm telling you, what would happen if we begin to pray for opportunities to open up our mouth for Christ? <laughs> we would have those opportunities. And you would find that as you pray for those to be raised up for the harvest, you will be the answer to your prayers. You may be the answer to your prayers. May we pray for our missionaries. May we pray for Christus Gemeinde Wien as our church plant in Vienna. May we pray for their work to go forth with equipping leaders international in Sierra Leone and Bolivia, Malawi. May we pray for Musa as he evangelizes the local villages in Sierra Leone. May we pray for Dan Eads, Dan and Jana Eads and his family that are poised just west of the Black Sea, right at the top of the 1040 window, equipping people to head into the 1040 window. And Matt Gass in Zambia, Africa, and Alex Rindell in Western Austria and Matt Hancock in Cambodia. May we pray for our missionaries and pray that the word would go forth. I just received an email from a wonderful organization called the Masters Academy International that's associated with the Masters Seminary and their effort to train pastors overseas. And they have called July 23rd through the 30th is an annual week of prayer called Together We Pray. And it's a reminder of, the, of beseeching the Lord of the harvest. And so as we gather as a church to pray in July, I'm going to remind us of this and bring this up at that time so that we can be praying for this ministry as well. But I am convinced that every pastor was raised up through prayer. I'm convinced that every missionary was raised up through prayer. Listen to this. I'm convinced that every single one of you who is saved right here was prayed into the kingdom. In the mystery of human responsibility and divine sovereignty, I would ask, brother, sister, church, do we pray? J.C. Ryle is right, quotes, prayer is one of the best and most powerful means of helping forward the cause of Christ in this world. What's going to change our nation? What's going to change our state, this world, the gospel of Jesus Christ? And it's going to start when we get on our knees and as a church and as individuals and as families and we begin to pray and beseech the Lord of the harvest. And I would say, is the Lord moving on your heart? Even in this message, Maybe you are called into the harvest. Are you the answer to this prayer? Well, none of this is about actually proclaiming and the response to that. That's next week. These are some of the 
the actions and attitudes that make up evangelists, workers sent for the harvest today. Let's go to the fourth one. Number four, the fourth characteristic. You are threatened by danger. You are threatened by danger. Verse 3, Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So, this work of being a worker is going to be difficult. How do you like that job description? Sent forth as what? Lambs in the midst of wolves. Lambs have, they're, they're, they're even small sheep. Sheep are bad enough, but they have no claws, no guns, no sharp teeth, no speed, no scales, no shields. We are lambs. And the nations to which we go are what? Wolves. They're filled with wolves. The neighbors to which we go who do not know the Lord are wolves. The school boards to which we speak are wolves. The teams on which we play, you're getting the idea. Missionary, pastor, Christian, worker, mom, dad, you are threatened by danger. It's a dangerous calling to be a Christian. Perhaps 50 years ago in the United States, we could just coast along, generally supported by our government, generally supported by our Constitution, the general moral fiber of our culture, but no more. We are the wrong ones. Now we are bigoted. Now it is claimed we do not have the moral ground. Now we are the outcast. And I remember reading somewhere that we are strangers and aliens in this world. And if you're uncertain if it's really dangerous to be a Christian, then YouTube, and maybe little kids don't do this, YouTube a video of a lamb being attacked by a wolf who is hungry. And I think you get the idea of how much danger Christians are in. Or he could pick up the Fox's Book of Martyrs to get a more non-metaphorical picture of that danger. Is our Lord Jesus Christ exaggerating here? Jesus said, you'll be hated for my name's sake. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12, all that will live godly in Jesus Christ will suffer persecution. Not just missionaries, not just pastors. Why? Because we're all workers as the Great Commission expands, sent into the harvest. We're all called to evangelism. And I'm telling you, people don't hate nice guys. They do not hate nice guys who shovel their neighbor's driveway in the wintertime. I mean, do that. I think it commends its gospel opportunities, but they're not going to hate nice shoveling. They hate Jesus Christ. They hate His message 
because it commands them to not live for self, to repent from sin, that they're not okay before God with all of their good works and all of their sincerity and all of their efforts and all their shoveling for their neighbors, that they're not good enough standing before a holy God, that the kingdom is coming, the kingdom is here in the presence of Jesus Christ, and you've got to turn and trust in Jesus and follow Him. The world hates this truth. The world hates the truth. And, and we won't celebrate lies this month or any month. You are threatened by danger. I believe the next five years are going to, we're going to feel and see and to experience firsthand what this verse means. If we live out these next three messages, the joy part's coming in this passage. If we live this out, in the next five years, we're going to experience firsthand what this verse means. It is illegal in Minnesota to talk for one of our pastors to talk to a person who is transitioning and struggling with feelings of identity sexual, sexually and wants to transition. It's illegal to take them to the Word of God to help them put their mind and heart on the truth. It's illegal to help them repent and believe the truth of the Word of God about their identity in Jesus Christ. It's illegal in Minnesota to do that today. You are threatened by danger. Well, so I think we need to have our attitudes ready. We better be praying. It leads me then to the fifth characteristic. Fifth, you are urgent on mission. Number four, carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. I want to highlight as Jesus sends out the 70, he says, greet no one on the way. Now we need to explain that. What's the point? The point is not that Christian workers are rude, although we can be. The point is not that Christian workers are too busy, although we are. The point is not that Christian workers lack hospitality. You have to understand that Greeting people in the ancient Near East at the time of Jesus was going to not take seconds, but not take minutes, but sometimes take hours. It's like the Minnesota goodbye on steroids. Sometimes I literally avoid a certain person at work. Paul LeClaire. I avoid Paul LeClaire at work at my other job because I have stuff to do. And I know that if I run into him, this is a feel of urgency about the calling to gather a harvest of souls, to rescue the perishing. That's the point of greet no one on the way. It's a call to devotion in our mission for our Lord Jesus Christ, to avoid distraction in this mission. And that distraction can be in families too. It can be the TV that keeps us from opening up the Word of God with our kids. Distractions can be sports. Distractions can be entertainment and podcasts and hobbies and projects. It can be all kinds of different things, all of which in and of themselves aren't bad, but they can be distractions. Is greeting people on the way bad? But they can be distractions. We're on mission. There's an urgency. Greet no one on the way. This is the consistent message of the Scriptures. There's never a call 
to wasting time in the Scriptures. There's never a call to boring passivity in the Christian life. There's never a call to distraction. There's never a call for inactivity. Even as we rest in the finished work of Christ, there's never a call to to store up treasures on this earth, which takes time and effort. It does. There's never a call to let them go to hell in the Scriptures. There's a call for action in the New Testament. So I asked myself this. Do I have margin in my schedule for God to answer my prayer for witnessing opportunities? To proclaim that the kingdom of God is near in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what needs to be adjusted so that I would have margin for this? There's an urgency of our mission as workers in the harvest. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus in chapter 5, verse 15, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, for the days are evil. Brother, sister, you are urgent on mission. The sixth characteristic goes with the seventh, and I'll need to put them together to get done on time. Number six, quickly, you are content with providence. You're on mission. You're content with providence. Verse four, carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Next time I'm going to get to the benediction of peace. I'll just say this. Maybe this is all I will say about that. This is a unique time in redemptive history. Not all of this is exactly equal. I, you know, would... Encourage Pastor Dan to pack a change of clothes when he goes to Sierra Leone an extra pair of sandals. But there's a principle here, and what happened is that they would come into the house and they would speak forth peace, and they'd be looking for messianic hope. Simeons and Annas, who were to be receivers of the gospel of Christ, and speak that word, and that peace of the gospel would fall upon that house. And if not, and they rejected the message of peace and the, and the Messiah as the leaders of Israel did, well, we'll see next week how that went for them. But that's really the context of that prayer. But I don't think that's the biggest point of verses 4 through 8. No, I think it's a call to be content as workers in the harvest. No money belt. Now watch. No money belt. No bag. It's going to be hard for me. My bag. Probably no extra pair of sandals. Stay in the first house you show up at. Eat and drink what is put in front of you. Don't move from house to house. These are the instructions to the 70. Be content. Don't 
go from house to house like the false teachers did, trying to find better living quarters, better food, better hose. Be content in providentially how the Lord directs you, how the Lord provides for you, the food that is put in front of you. It's going to be hard. There's lambs and there's wolves. And he hasn't promised workers in the harvest a plentiful pension, a rich retirement in which we can check out of our mission. He has promised to never leave us or forsake us. He has promised to give us what we need. A worker is worthy of his wages. We are to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. But dear Christian and dear Christian worker, be content with the providence of God as you step forward in faith in your mission for Jesus Christ. This is not a call here in our mission for security and self. This is not a call for plush retirement. This is not a call for grumbling and complaining at the provision of God. This is not a call for posturing. Where's health, wealth, and prosperity here? It's absent. Where's this greedy pursuit of money in ministry here? No, we often have to walk forward with contentment. Contentment flows from faith. That's my next point. No sandals. No money bag. Sent out on the harvest, waiting on the Lord, watching for God to provide. Now listen. I read an article from Desiring God the other day. It was super helpful. It was titled, Love the Place. Love the place you want to leave. Love the place you want to leave. It's an article about contentment. He compares some of those feelings of just where we're at, maybe in our life, in our situation, wishing we were somewhere else. And compares some of those feelings of being in exile in Babylon like the Jews of old. And he reminds us in that article that we are planted by God sovereignly right here in this field, in the place we want to leave. He reminds us that we are planted right here. Our field is ripe with harvest by the master gardener. When the Israelites found themselves in Babylon, what were they to do? They were to plant a garden. They were to build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Jeremiah 29 and verse 5. There is a wind blowing in our Christian culture, in our families, in our jobs, and in our churches. There's a wind blowing of restlessness. That something is better south or better around the bend that hinders our mission for Jesus Christ right where He has put us in His providence. Right here. Blooming in the place you want to leave. I like what the article says, and I'll quote Scott Hubbard. He says, quote, Sink your roots into this soil, hard as it may feel, and dare to believe that fruit can grow even here. The Christian worker is content with God's providence. And seventh, and finally, tying the last one, if you're going to have contentment, the most important thing, you are dependent upon God. You are dependent upon God. Listen. If you're going to carry no money big, if you're going to have no extra pair of sandals, you're going to have to depend 
on God. If you're going to stay in the first house you show up at and eat, even eat liver and onions that's set in front of you and not negotiate better lodging and supplies, you're going to have to trust God. If you're going to have to depend on others to support you as a laborer of the Word, you're going to have to trust God. And so it's scary. This lack of provision. It's scary, this lack of protection as a lamb among wolves. It's overwhelming. With this work, this task that is before us as one of the few with this unfinished task. And we can begin to get frantic and we can strive in the flesh and be filled with discontentment and fear. And all of that is a call to prayer. All of that is a call to dependence and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that's why Jesus brings up the lamb. And the wolves. Because in this harvest, in our workplaces, our families, discouraging neighborhoods, our co-ops, our schools, our friend groups in the nations, it's scary. We are so afraid of opening up our mouth. We're afraid of proclaiming the whole gospel, especially the bad news of sin and judgment, as we will see next week. But we are appointed by Jesus, few in number, have been prayed into existence, threatened by danger, urgent on mission. We're content in all of this because we're dependent upon God. And we need to remember that, yes, we are lambs. And, yes, there are wolves. But we serve whom? The good shepherd. The good shepherd. He's got a big staff. He's got a big stick. And he has laid his life down for the sheep. And he will not run and flee from us when times get tough. He will watch over us. He will lose not one. He will protect us from the wolves. Not one of you will be lost. Not one will be snatched out of his hand. He calls you by name and He bids you even in this mission to rest by the still waters and find your place of rest. I want to pick it up about our good shepherd in John chapter 10 as we close. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me even as the Father knows me. And I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And then Jesus goes on to say, I have other sheep. He has a people. In that harvest that He looked at, They are not of this fold. I must bring them also. I must bring them. And they will hear my voice. And they will become one flock with one shepherd. This is a prophecy of the church. This is a prophecy of success for the mission of the twelve and the mission of the seventy and the success for the mission of the church. He will have His sheep. And this it will be a people from every tribe, every nation, every kindred, and every tongue. A people of the last nation. A people of the harvest. The good shepherd will bring them in by His voice. How will they hear His voice? 
They will hear His voice through preachers. Through His workers who are sent into the harvest and will open up their mouth and proclaim the Gospel. That the Kingdom of God is near in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a privilege it is to be called into this mission that will not fail. It will not fail. It cannot fail. But we got to depend. Even here in Minnesota. So let's stand. Let's stand in light of this message reminding us we haven't even got to the evangelism part. This is all, this is all thought process going in. This may be the reason why we don't do next time. We need to be reminded that we are lambs among wolves, but we're lambs and we have a good shepherd. And so let's again, as we sing, let's read again Psalm 23. I'm going to read it and I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think about this in light of being a lamb sent out among the wolves. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, many emotions as we hear a message like this. Because you know that we struggle. We have difficult times with hard conversations. And I don't know a harder conversation sometimes than telling someone that there is appointed for man once to die and then face the judgment. And that heaven or Hades, as we see next week, is on the line. And that they must repent and turn to Christ. These are hard conversations. Fear gets in the way. Lord, we say we believe. Help our unbelief. Help us to know our identity as workers. Help us to know our identity, though, as lambs with a good shepherd. And Father, I pray that we would not just hear this, but we would go and we would make adjustments in our lives, in our attitudes and actions, even this week, thinking about margin, thinking about prayer, thinking about blooming in contentment where we're planted and what our minutes are spent on. 
I pray that we would take this and individually as families, we're in different places. I pray that we'd love one another through these changes, but Holy Spirit, that you would make some changes in our lives and in our church even through this message. We do pray for all of our missionaries today. We've named them already. We pray for each one. We're thankful for them. Would you bless their efforts? Would you send forth your gospel? May the voice of Christ be proclaimed through our proclamation of the gospel of Christ. Bless us now as we come to the Lord's table with many emotions even this morning. Bless us as we come. In Christ's name, amen.